Sen is not something you study. Sure, you can read about it, you can gain more knowledge about it, but Sen is an experience. It's a recognition of what already is. That Sen is already part of your life, but maybe we're not paying much attention to it. Sen is the journey without any aim, actually. And that's why where it's easiest to feel the Sen is aimless activities. So my teacher would always say, would, would often say that brewing tea or having a tea ceremony is a very aimless activity, just like meditation. And it's in those aimless activities where you often find the peace of mind, the quiet, and ultimately the Sen. Hey everyone, welcome to Interested. I'm your host, Donna Edda. Interested is a result of my curiosity to explore more on our collective wellness wisdom. And that goes from physical to cognitive to emotional health to spirituality. This podcast is my attempt to bring nourishing conversations to help you live a higher quality, more fulfilling life. My guest this week is Cathay Pacific pilot, Katrine Olsen. A down-to-earth and curious human who has balanced an aviation career with her well-being journey. Shaped by her childhood in Denmark, she has taken the path less traveled, from participating in an all-women's expedition across the Arctic to thriving with grace and humor in a largely male-dominated industry. In this conversation, Katrin shares with us her wellness rituals such as the art of tea, meditation, Zen philosophy and yoga that have grounded her, especially in moments of uncertainties. Katrin tells us that wellness is a personal journey. There is no one size fits all. And if we learn to see challenges as invitations to further this explorative journey, these speed bumps can be full of exciting insights and maybe the push we needed to look further and deeper into our own habits, mind and nature. And without further ado, I give you Katrine Olsen. At 22, you skipped uni and decided to go to flight school. By the age of 29, you became the first officer of a major airline. And then now you're faced with COVID, where there's so much uncertainty. I'm going to dive right into what has been the biggest challenge I, I don't know whether I want to call it the biggest challenge. Maybe the biggest life lesson is that life is super unpredictable. If you asked me uh, when I left high school what I was going to do with my life, I couldn't even have made this up. Like this is, it's, I had no idea I would land in a foreign place like Hong Kong doing flying as a career and married to a local Hong Kong guy and um, living out in this beautiful countryside with the mountains. So I think one life lesson and one challenge has always been to trust that the process of life is kind of going to carry you wherever you're meant to be. To be able to let go of things that has kind of finished and is not serving you any longer. It's very contrary to human nature, I think. We just love grasping and holding on and thinking that things are solid and uh, will last forever. But I think I had to learn really early on, especially with uh, jumping into the flying career, that life is just super unpredictable. And if I was kind of constantly fighting life with what I wanted or what I foresaw in my own future, um, I was never going to be able to really grab the opportunities that sometimes kind of show up out of nowhere, really. What do you mean by if you were constantly fighting life? So in some ways... 
my curiosity has always been very helpful in that because I think usually the curiosity always got the best of me. So whenever things felt uncomfortable and maybe not fighting life, but sort of the, um, it's always scary to jump into something new or to something unknown, like kind of leaping out into thin air and you don't know really where you're going to land. Um, but my curiosity has always been the driving force or the carrier that on one side, I was not know what's going to happen if I took this choice, if I went this direction, but the curiosity always would get the best of me. And it's sort of the excitement of, wow, what could happen if I did this? Or how, how would this turn out? And what would I see? And um, so it may be not so much a fight, but I think it's just the inherent, uh, the scary moments of change that I think we all notice as human beings whenever things doesn't go away or we are faced with um, choices that will carry us in a significantly different direction than what we were planning. What do you think nurtured your curiosity growing up? Oh, my mom, for sure. My mom and my dad has, um, is, has been the biggest cheerleaders, I would say, for my curiosity. In some ways, they always treated me like a small adult. They, they allowed me to make my own mistakes. They were never patronizing or telling me that things were not supposed to do, be done in a certain way. Um, they were very caring and very loving, and they had a very distinct sense of what was okay and what was sensible, what was safe. Um, but my, like my mom always said, well, if it doesn't kill you, you probably going to learn something or what doesn't go well will give you a life lesson a life lesson instead so i think they really truly it was not just talk the talk it was they really walked that um with both me and my sister so i was used to traveling on my own when i was 13 14 years old sort of across the country without any assistance and and my mom my mom knew that i was probably going to be okay Wow. Um, that means you have a you you develop a big confidence in your own abilities, uh, but even more so, you develop a confidence that life has your back, that you're going to be okay, that no matter what happens, it's it's just going to be another fun experience, and if it doesn't go so well, you're going to have a very fun story to tell later. Wow, I love that. It sounds like you had a really big um, playground growing up. Down my was also a very safe place to grow up. Um, right. So obviously the foundation from where my parents could bring me up, me and my sister up this way, was, was obviously a very safe container as well. Um, we grew up on the countryside. There was like an open door policy between me and my friends and my, my parents' friends. In the summertime when it was hot and the weather was nice, you never knocked the door of anyone's houses. The doors were open. They were not locked. You just went into the backyard and found your friend if you wanted to to play for an hour. It was it was a very relaxed and easygoing lifestyle and something that I don't even think if that is even possible in Denmark any longer or mm -hmm. anywhere in the world. It's um, I do know that the world has changed a lot since I grew up back then. Well, this leads me to the next question. How did your wellness journey start? You know, you went from this carefree childhood to this intense career. And um, yeah, how did it all begin? Flying has really, in many ways, been the biggest wellness teacher I could, 
I could wish for. I think when you start a job that is so demanding, both physically and mentally, being up in the air so often, flying at the back of a body clock, it is very physically demanding and exhausting in many ways. Um, and I think I realized a few years into my flying career that just living my normal life as I had previously done was not going to cut it in terms of um, keeping my mental state happy and healthy and my physical happy and healthy. So I think one of the first thing I did was that I went back into yoga, which was something I had already dappled in a little bit when I went traveling between my high school career and or my high school time and um, and my flying. But still, I knew that something was I needed to to step that up a bit. Um, and one of the one of the most amazing things that happened, which is again a testament to the idea before that life just kind of carry you away to somewhere when you're not quite sure where, was that as 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 females, we're very we're we have an inherent ability to listen to our bodies through our cycles, through our hormones, the way those react in our bodies. And I knew with myself after a few years of flying that something was not quite right and that uh, my cycles were delayed. They were not the lengths they were supposed to be. Um, that something was probably a bit out of order, which prompted me to go look for someone who knew more than I did. And then stumbled upon one of my now friends called Corinne, which is, um, so she's a natural birth doula, but also obviously through that has a very big awareness of, of women's health and fertility um, and, and also emotional health. So I ended up actually contacting her, which led me later on to join some women's gatherings that she was hosting in Central back in the days, I almost want to say, this is several years ago. And that was a really interesting shift because I was not looking for any mental or sort of coaching or emotional, psychological well-being courses or additions to my life at that point. Actually, quite frankly, I was very happy with my yoga. Um, I made sure to take my supplements and was also researching a lot in that field to make sure that I was happy and healthy in a very medical, maybe more technical way. Mm. But the women's circle, it kind of slowly dawned upon me that it was bringing me back to a sense of femininity and it was balancing an actually very, very masculine workplace. And because most of the colleagues I was flying was men, and because the flying is a very a goal-orientated life, there's a lots of tests, there's a lot of stress, there's lots of being very moldable and adaptable and, and quick to sort of um, deal with situations that could potentially occur. That's part of what we're trained for. Um, it, it needed to be balanced out because otherwise, especially as a woman, you need to you need to have a balance between the masculine and the feminine. And obviously being around men all the time and being in a very masculine workplace um, was kind of tipping the scale. And then coming back and actually sitting with women to talk about what it meant to be a woman the struggles of a woman as well. Um, even in a place like Hong Kong, all of the people that I sat with, all the women I got to know was not pilots, but they were still having to deal with Hong Kong, which is in many ways similar. High stress, high pressure, lots you need to perform, you need to be good, you need to be seen, 
you might need to elbow if you t- like those those things that we as women don't find we we both have the feminine and the masculine so of course there will also be masculine aspects but if we live too much in the masculine world um for for me that was not healthy mm. and for me to join those women's circles actually brought the scale back to um to level and actually in return it gave so much back to my flying which is a really unexpected um or called side effect or or result of that because it made me able to see that some of the feminine qualities was also could actually be used in my workplace as well that there is a way of leading as a female like a female leadership qualities that is different from the male leadership qualities but work so well together be- because they actually marry each other you mix the two in a really beautiful combination excess you're not fighting each other i was for me to give up trying to be a man pilot with my colleagues but becoming a female pilot with my colleagues and to give those um female qualities of leadership back to the cockpit um the flexibility the care the love um those things are really valuable and it make it made it so much more enjoyable to fly because i also got closer to my true self in flying i was not i was still putting on the work clothing and in some ways i was the pilot type of katrine i was a pilot katrine um but i was truer to myself i was closer to who i am outside the cockpit than i had ever been and that is extremely satisfying and extremely beautiful and it makes you incredibly happy going to work and do your job and it made me realize that there's a lot of parental qualities in flying in some ways actually like with care and with love and with good communication and with team work and things that we know as women that we're very good at those things can completely change the work environment even for pilots because you are so much more than the cockpit you have so many people around you that you need to work with that you need to flow with to make a flight happen to get even off the ground by looking into this women's circle it really impacted your career as well right so from a personal journey to a professional side did your cycle ever get back to normal or can you share with us what was the process of the healing it it did yeah it did and it was you know it felt like such a personal victory you're like hands in the air and like yes 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 it works it's it's right just by getting in touch with yourself or did you have to do other things what was brought into focus by joining the women's circles was that i needed to become more sensitive to my own body to what was working that was obviously the first sign of something was not right was a sort of listening but by deepening that listening one thing is knowing when things are wacky and not going quite right um another thing is increasing your sensitivity so that you can feel when things are slightly off so you can correct it before it becomes a bigger problem um so getting the cycles back and increasing that sensitivity um also prepared me for for so many other um later discoveries in the wellness journey as well and and it, you can say in some ways is the foundation of the sensitivity to tea 
it is all interlinked. There is nothing that doesn't influence each other. This is a great segue to your passion of the way of tea. Can you please share with us? Tea for me is connecting a lot of the dots. It is, on, on one side, it is the simple comfort of the peace and the quiet and sitting five minutes with a cup of tea. And for many people, that is sitting with a tea bag and a mug in the morning and just having five quiet minutes for themselves. Um, but the way of tea and the way it has been developed in, in China and Japan and, and sort of throughout the world from there really um, is very linked to lifestyle and to your mind and self-cultivation and in many ways the sensitivity towards your mind and your, your well-being and your sort of inner world. It is quiet, it takes time. For many people in the beginning, it can be even scary because the, the silence and the quietude and the letting go of a goal or um, a destination is super scary. It's something we have lost so much touch with mm. that letting it's go almost the feels the silence. We all know that the term that the silence can be very loud. And I think for a lot of people that can be the case. So tea is a, it's a journey into yourself. It's a journey into meditation, um, to a more mindful life, to paying more attention to what you do, to, to mindfulness. I mean, I know it becomes such a buzzword these days, but there's a lot of mindfulness of what you would call maybe Zen um, in tea. It comes from the Buddhist monasteries in the first place. This is a great segue to go into the Zen part of your journey as well. How did you get started in that? See, it's interesting. I think a lot of people correlate Zen with a religion or maybe a very sort of deep spiritual practice, which I think life can be in itself. So um, actually that's very fitting. But for me, Sen was, uh, Sen came with the tea, um, also partly because the teacher and the, the school I'm sort of following and some of my friends in Taiwan, um, base a lot of the principles and the talks and the way they do tea on Sen. So it kind of came naturally. Who's one of your teachers in the way of tea? In terms of the Sen, perhaps, um, I would like to mention Global Tea Hut and, and Wuda, which is the, um, the tea master or a tea teacher, if he doesn't like calling himself a master, um, in Miaoli in Taiwan. Actually, funny, I, I looked him up and he actually said, the day that you call me a master is when I'm dead because yeah. I'm forever a student. <laughs> and I love that. No, no masters, uh, no masters still living. We all students. That's right. Um, in Hong Kong, people get very nerdy about tea, so it can often get very technical, very um, discussions on what tea you brew, what way, which is also really fascinating and interesting, but it does sometimes miss out on the more spiritual and more mindful Zen quiet stillness and meditational aspect. So, so that has really been brought in with the Global Tea Hut. I actually, in retrospect, realized that a lot of my life was lived through the glasses of sun already mm. um and actually i love to correlate sun and flying a lot which sounds bizarre to some people perhaps but um but i'll explain the easiest way to make it more tangible is um i read a book maybe a year ago or so uh dogen which is one of the old zen masters in the soto school which is one of the zen schools he wrote a lot of books like 
most masters did. One of them is uh, how to cook. It's called How to Cook Your Life or Instructions for the Zen Cook. In that book, he talks about three types of mind. The first is Dashian, which is literally translated as big mind or a magnanimous mind. So it's like a being okay with whatever is, uh, non-judgment, equanimity, nothing is good or bad, letting go of the labels of preference. And in some ways, we have to do that all the time when we fly. We have no control over so many things, maybe biggest of them, the weather. Whether we come to the destination and it's raining and we look at each other and we say, well, we need more water break, or there's a typhoon, we look at each other and say, well, I guess we need to look at the alternates because maybe we're not going to the destination at all. Or it's snowing and we need to call the engineer because we need to get uh, de-iced and anti-iced and um, th- that, the flexibility. Oh. And nothing of that is good or bad. It just is. None of the pilots looking at each other say, that's a, why is the typhoon here? That is really bad. Or why is it snowing? That's really bad. Or it's a clear blue sky and that is really good. There's, there's very little judgment in that because as pilots, we just react to the situation and we adapt. We're flexible. Wow, fascinating. I love that angle. That flexibility in mind is what, is what I read into when I hear the word big mind. So the second one is probably the most interesting one is Roshin, which is a parental mind. And flying doesn't really sound very parental at all. Actually, it is. When you think as a passenger or a pilot, you board a plane, you lock the door up and you take off. When you are in the air, you are one body, you are one life. Your safety is my safety and vice versa. So in, in many ways, I become the parent and all my passengers become my daughters and my sons. And that's really beautiful. And, and, and also we know as a passenger, you, for some people it's scary to fly because you let go. You have to trust. You put your life into the hands of the pilot. And the pilot becomes your caretaker for the journey from A to B. So some of the best captains I've seen in my career is actually they almost have an air of motherhood or fatherhood in them. There is this really all-encompassing care and compassion and attention um, and wisdom And also, I think now I'm not a parent yet, but I think some parents will be able to recognize this. This kind of fierce ability to take action if something is not quite right for the safety of your kids. Pilots have to do that. That's what we train for, to become the parent of our passengers for the journey. And so the third one is Kishin. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly, but this means joyful mind. And joyful mind is not about the goal, or the aim, or the destination. It's about being happy with the journey. It's about gratitude, of being a service, of, of enjoying doing things for others and not necessarily because you are 
gaining something or you're going somewhere. And that's our job as pilots. We go from A to B, but then we go from B to A. Most of the time, regardless of whether we are staying over one night or we're going directly home, we are ending up exactly where we started. We haven't achieved anything in some ways. What we're doing is we're being of service to the passengers. A lot of the joy in flying is the flying itself, because actually there is no destination. Was there a moment in your studying of Zen that made a big impression on your life? I think actually most of my Zen realization has been retrospective. And I think that's really important because Zen is not something you study. Sure, you can read about it, you can gain more knowledge about it, but Zen is an experience. It's a recognition of what already is, that Zen is already part of your life, but maybe we're not paying much attention to it. Zen is the journey without any aim, actually. And that's why some of those things that, where it's easiest to feel the Zen is aimless activities. So my teacher would always say, would, would often say that brewing tea or having a tea ceremony is a very aimless activity, just like meditation. He's a big proponent for Zazen, which is like the, the Zen version of meditation, where you kind of sit, just look into a wall or like just look out and you just sit. That is probably the most aimless activity we can come up with in our heads. You're literally doing nothing. Um, tea brewing, you can at least sort of halfway fool yourself that you're doing something purposeful. Um, but flying is the same aimless activity and it's in those aimless activities where you often find the peace of mind the quiet and ultimately the sound this leads me to the next segment of our conversation i'm going to ask you a few questions about in certain moments in time that you've experienced and the lessons that you've learned can you share with us a moment in time when you wanted to quit and what lesson you learned it's a really difficult question. I don't actually ever thought I was going to quit. I, I know that sounds very maybe big-headed a little bit, but I, I always knew I was going to be okay. Of course, I failed and, you know, had times in my life that was difficult, but I always had that word in my head that my mom said, I was probably going to learn something really amazing out of this. This year, the COVID year, this year of uncertainty and turmoil and unpredictability and in, for many people, a lot of suffering. Um, I'm not saying it's an easy year. It's a great year in many ways, but it's probably going to be the most fruitful year in terms of learning. And if we are able to listen to that rather than complain and being unhappy and just focus on things that we cannot do... There's so many life lessons. There will never be a year. I'm never going to say never, but hasn't been a year in my life so far that have had the, such a large, a big possibility of teaching me a million life lessons because there's no way you can hide. We have been forced to face the situation. There's no holidays, there's no flights, there's no escapes. I literally cannot hide from the fact that Right now, I'm not flying. For my day-to-day -day life, I don't have a job. 
and that somehow I still need to be happy, live my life, and be grateful for all the small things that, that I have. But that takes a lot of, you, you have to rewire the entire way you see happiness and joy and, um, and that you're totally okay with changing your life and that it doesn't make it any less amazing. Can you share a moment in time when you took big risks? Yes. The biggest risk I ever took was taking the job with Cathy, for sure. There was a lot of my friends by the time I said I wanted to start flying that, well, first of all, they thought it was crazy just because it was around the financial crisis in 2010. I was not having money to pay for flying school. Where, were, where was I even going to find a flying job? When I then got, got an invitation to go to the, to the flying school in Adelaide by a, a cadet ship from Cathay, which um, in between took a lot of tests and trials and interviews and stuff, everyone was asking, how do you know you're going to like flying for the rest of your life? How do you know you're going li to like living in Hong Kong so far away from, from everything? You never even lived there. It's so... Of course, I jumped into all of that, completely not knowing whether I was going to be happy and whether this was going to, well, literally fly um, or not. But as, as always, I kind of just fell back on my confidence as a kid and my mom's encouragement. And yeah, and that's just the fundamental belief that life had my back and that things were going to be all right. And if I had to leave my flying job after three years because I was not happy, well, gotten a heck of a good story. A moment in time when you felt defeated. Rather than being one moment where I felt defeated, I would say the hardest times in my life, and those have been twice now, has been being um, away from my family for a very long time. And the first time I really felt that was in flying school. And I think the combination of very short span where I had to literally go from zero to hero, um, learning how to fly a super tiny aircraft to fly uh, twin propeller aircraft and eventually fly jet simulators um, in 14 months. And being very much a family person, that hit me much harder than I expected. How did it affect you and how did you deal with that? I think at that time, and there wasn't really time to think about the psychological and emotional tool this was taking on me. I knew I was sad and unhappy and it was tough to do all this flying, being so far away and feeling um, and, and feeling torn apart from such a big side of myself. But at least I had a deadline. I knew when my course was going to finish and my parents would fly to Australia for my graduation. So there was this like big gift or sort of joy waiting for me at the end. Um, so it's been really interesting to have those emotions popping up again during this time of COVID, but in a very different way, because two things are, are very different this time. On one side, on the negative side, I don't know when I will actually see them. There's no deadline. The good side is that this time has been a time for meditation for me. It's the first time I've really dipped my feet into regular meditation every day and seeing that this is not just a nice to do whenever I have time, which I kind of used to think. It's a mandatory 
item for my well-being, for my peace of mind, for my level-headedness, for just gaining a perspective in life. And that I did not have back then when I was first separated from my family. Do you actually want to dive into your meditation practice a bit and share with us your journey and your insights? So when I came back from, I had a very big expedition trip in March to Greenland, um, came back with lots of memories and beautiful landscapes and felt super accomplished and uh, joyful and uh, very happy. And then I came back and COVID was sort of in full um, full motion and um, and just a very different life. And I knew that it looked, it, it could be a while before I started flying. And I, I got actually into meditation straight away when I got back, which when I look back now was just a super clever choice, but it wasn't it was kind of more of an afterthought back then. I didn't think about it so much, actually. But it made a it made a massive difference. So I meditated for March and April, and then it dwindled and sort of faded out during June. And June and July was by far the hardest month I've had this year. the The depth and the heaviness of not seeing my family was starting to kick in. My meditation practice kind of faded out. And summer of Hong Kong, we all know it's hot and stuffy and humid it's impossible to stay outside and then luckily my um the global tea hot community in uh, in taiwan because obviously no one was going to visit them either they were not going to be able to run the 10-day courses that they have normally been doing um elected to do the first online course so so i signed up with some of my community um sisters and brothers here in hong kong and we did the 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 tea course in real time during that week together. And part of part of the encouragement from our teacher in Taiwan was that we meditated in the morning one hour and at night one hour as as part of the framework for the course. So me and uh, uh, some of the others, we elected to do that over Zoom, which was initially very strange because Zoom is your chit-chat, you see each other, you have you know, it, it feels like a, a platform where you interact and, and meditation, as we already spoke about, has very little inter- interaction. But we felt like a community doing this together. And it was remarkable what a, what a difference it made to sit together in silence. So it started like that with 14 hours of meditation during one week. I would stop judging even my meditation sessions because you have good sits, you have bad sits, you have sits where you're more restless, you have sits where you go super deep and you're just, time is just, you have no concept of it. You have sits where you cry because it's so emotional and you feel so much compassion and love. Um, you have sits where your brain gets ideas and you get creative and you literally want to grab your phone and write notes because there's so much popping into it. And I started just really enjoying those rides and the judgment of whether or not it was one or the other just kind of faded out and diminished. And and now it's so beautiful to see that even the days where I'm not, I'm not able to sit for an hour in the morning or an hour at night, or the days where I can only sit for half an hour, there's no judgment. It doesn't matter because I know very, very deep inside myself that when I can, I want to sit that hour because it's important. And I am, I am going on these exploration trips. I might not be traveling. I might not be flying. But holy moly, I'm going into some really amazing adventures inside my own mind and my own heart right now. 
And I do not want to skip on that one single bit. And that's the real stuff, you know, that inner exploration. Last question of this segment is a moment in time when you had more strength than you knew. The one that springs to mind right now is Greenland. A lot of my travel adventures has been a challenge for me to see and to reconnect with that inner strength that I in some ways know I have, but that I need to, I need to reconnect with it and confirm for myself that it's there. Can you tell us more about the Greenland ship? It was the Arctic Circle with the Her Planet organization. Mm. Yeah, so back in 2018, I went to Mongolia with a sister organization um, called Women on a Mission. And it was the first time I joined an all-women trip, which is very different from when you joined a mixed-gender trip, and especially when it's one that is fundraising at the same time. You, you get to travel with very compassionate women who has a lot of knowledge in life and who really sees outside their own circle. They want to do good in the world. Um, and on that trip, I met the founder, one of the co-founders of Women on a Mission called Christine Amor-Levoir, um, which is a super amazing woman. Um, I don't know how many hours in a day she has, but definitely more than 24. Um, and I remember speaking to her during that trip in uh, Mongolia and we were kind of brainstorming interesting and amazing places to go. And I said, why don't you go to Greenland? You've been to Antarctica. Greenland is an amazing place. I always wanted to go. Um, that was just kind of a side thought. But a year later, she, she messaged me and said, it's happening. We're going to Greenland and you are coming. And I was, <gasps> because I was getting married that year. I'd already used all my leave. I was thinking, oh gosh, how am I ever going to make this happen? But obviously... I had to make it somehow. So I sort of magically, I don't even know how now, um, <laughs> managed to carve out the time um, for the 10 days. And um, so, yeah, in March, I went to Greenland to to join a 200-kilometer ride on fat bikes, um, what is called the Arctic Circle Trail. Uh, it sounds very bizarre to go bike riding in Greenland. Um, and, and that was where... Um, one of one of your interviews before Nick um, yes, was my Nick mountain Dover. bike teacher to train me and get me up to, you know, fit form and just kind of knowing how to handle a mountain bike um, was very different, very interesting. I was just, I'm used to flat Denmark where you do city bikes, so very very different concept. And that trip was just it's it's probably the most beautiful place I've ever visited, mind blowing, but it was also one of the hardest trips I've ever done. Why? First of all, it's been, it was the first time I've been in an environment where just being outside in down to minus 30 odd degrees felt like a threat to my life. One thing is doing something hard, but most of the time, even if you go hiking for long distances or you can stop and take a break or take a rest. There was no such thing in Greenland. If you took a rest or you stopped going, you froze. Yeah, I remember in one of your pieces, you mentioned that you were constantly concerned about your toes, that if you could feel them, otherwise you're going to get frostbites. Yeah. And that's the thing is you can't, it's not like being hurt in a conventional fashion. When you get hurt in freezing degrees like that, you lose 
senses. And then after that, you don't know what's going on with your toes or your hands. So there was that constant body awareness of where am I warm? Where am I not warm? Get the circulation going, even our small steps. And we would keep that to a max of 10, 10 minutes. We would jump around. We would swing our hands. We would stump our feet, um, drinking as much tea, um, Actually, I took one of the red teas from Global Tea Hut with me, and that was such a lifesaver. Anything hot we could get into us. But even so, the days were brutal. We were biking from six to eight hours every day. It was, you can say, only six days, but it was a marathon psychologically. And also, the trips I've been used to, you can, you can talk, you can somehow ease the the hardship for each other by by distracting your your mind by good conversations and and human connections when you're on a bike and it's freezing and you're riding in one line because there's only one track in the snow and you might as well share the same one you can't talk it was pure meditation and mental strength and willpower and just keep going like wrap your mind into itself and and just just one pedal stroke at a time when you're in such a harsh environment and conditions and you have so big tasks ahead of you it really forces you to get together you ride as one you are one moving human on a bike because just like the flying my safety is your safety. If, if one of the team members get hurt or get injured or have problems, it's a problem for the whole team. There is just no room for not being vigilant and attentive to yourself and to your fellow, your fellow team members. And that just really brings out the best in humans. When you get together with women, there is a certain chemistry and sisterhood. But when you're together with a woman who is also fundraising and who is also who has that big mind that extends outside their own life to do good for the world, mm. to bring their skills out to the world for the benefit of others. Some amazing conversations and chemistry and ideas just naturally emerges well, wow, that's really inspiring. That makes me want to create a trip like this or join one. I think it sounds amazing. You should, absolutely. Well, Katrine, this conversation has been so much fun. We've talked about the way of tea, curiosity, Zen, meditation, being a pilot. Um, I'm going to close this conversation with a few rapid questions. What is the best advice or lesson from your parents? Well, I think I probably have to go back to my mom saying that either it goes well or you learn something. What is your idea of wellness? Wellness is a way to find our way back to ourselves, to what makes us happy, to what makes us peaceful, balanced, level-headed, creative, curious, the best version of ourselves, really, whatever that is. Um, and wellness is a it's a big toolbox, lots of different practices and ideas and thoughts and teachers and classes to do and explore. And 
I would definitely encourage everyone to go out and do wellness shopping, but to ultimately come back and know what worked because that is very different for, for everyone. And to incorporate that into your life and to stick to it and to still be curious, but also to, to learn that sticking to something and being familiar and, and making it not just a habit, but an integrated part of your life, there's a beauty in that. Just like it might be more fun to shop around with a relationship and have a new boyfriend every week, we all know the benefit of having a long-term relationship, maybe getting married, getting all together, that the beauty and the gift, the real present, sometimes come when you stick for, to something for a really long time to the point where you actually don't know where you start and that practice or that philosophy or that activity begins. It, it, it merges and becomes one with you. Thank you so much, Katrine, for sharing this. I really love your insights and sharing your stories and your experiences. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, I'm under my name, Katrine Fries Olsen on Instagram or uh, Pilot Katrine, very cliche. Um, and my Facebook would also be my, my normal name. And I am always happy to chat to people, although I still try to keep myself off social media as much as I can. So for anyone who do want to get in touch, I do apologize in advance for a very long respond, responding time. <laughs> Is there any closing thoughts you would like to share with our audience or anything that I missed? I think I want to close off with four, four words that kind of encapsulates a, a lot of what I try to, how I try to live my life. And it also binds well the my sort of initial journey with Japanese tea and my tea journey in general and kind of Eastern philosophy and Zen. Um, it's four common words that you sometimes see on scrolls at uh, tea ceremonies in Japan. Um, the chanoyu, which is typically, it's a way of tea, but it's often linked to um, the, witch, the whisking of matcha. And that's, uh, the first one is harmony. And the second one is respect. And the third one is purity and incorporating all those pieces into my life. The harmony with life, the sort of the ease, flowing through life at ease, moving with the water, the respect for, for everyone around me, which also translates into love and care and diminishing the idea of me as self and others as others. And the purity and sort of the reverence and respect the intention I put to what I do, to do things well, to do things proper, to not, to not jump over things and to do things the easy way, but to be, to be proud and to persevere and, and to practice. And all those leads to the, the fourth word, which is uh, tranquility. Me, as anyone else who've had a really beautiful tea session, knows that few cups into a well-made tea ceremony where harmony, respect, and purity is present, you would often have this tranquility arise out of nowhere. So in some ways, the other three words leads to the last. And what I want to end on is that actually that tranquility has a lot in common with a very common Danish word called hygge, which used to be a word I used to explain a lot to people 
because it doesn't really have a direct translation in English. Since then, a lot of books has been written about it. There's even a book on Hugo now, so, so some of you might actually know already what that means. But Hugo is a feeling. It is the absence of stress, of rushing. It's the, it's the ease and peace and well-being and safety and love and care and being completely in the moment. And in Denmark, Hygge is probably the most important word because it influences everything we do. When you are with friends, friends you can be silent with, where you're totally at ease, you're totally together, and time just flies, disappears. That is Hygge. In many ways, it's the magic we all search in life. The show notes of this episode are on my website, www.interested.blog. And if you enjoy this podcast, share it with a friend.